You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We turn to a number of passages in Scripture this afternoon. First of all, we are going to turn to the second book of Kings, chapter 4, verses 1 to 7, where we have one of the miracles done through Elisha. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her two sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Next we turn to the gospel according to Luke chapter 7, 18 to 23. John's disciples told him, meaning Jesus, all about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go, go back, and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Then we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were pagans somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. 
to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one just as he determines. And then finally, we turn to James chapter 5, the verses 13 to 18. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I preach to you this afternoon from the word of our God as the church summarizes and confesses this in Lord's Day 20. Question and answer 53. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me by true faith share in Christ and all his benefits to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, do the names Catherine Kuhlman, Oral Roberts, Benny Hinn, Todd Bentley, ring a bell with you? Perhaps some do, or at least I hope one of them does. They're the names of well-known faith healers, both past and present. When I was growing up in Ontario, Catherine Kuhlman was all the rage and kind of a household name. And almost every week, busloads of people, Christian and otherwise, used to cross the border into Buffalo in order, they said, to get healed. At the same time, we had Oral Roberts on the radio and on television promoting his healing ministry and urging us to put our hands on the radio or to buy his special prayer cloth and so get healed as well. Nowadays, we have a somewhat different scene. We have Benny Hinn, a Canadian living in California, flying around the world in his private jet, staying in all the best hotels and eating in the fanciest restaurants and holding mammoth healing crusades. In places like India and China, he is all the rage. And then, of course, not so long ago, we had an Abbotsford man go down to Lakeland, Florida, where he ignited what became known as the Lakeland Revival. From all over the United States, as well as from around the world, people traveled to Florida, not to lie on the beach, but looking for a miracle. 
Recently, however, as you may have read, also in the local newspapers, all of this went sour as Bentley's marriage hit the rocks and his connections with Lakeland were severed. In any case, all of these people and these ministries have one thing in common, and that is that they all stress that Christianity is a miracle religion or a so-called healing faith. If you believe in Jesus and in his almighty power, your diseases, your handicaps, your brokenness, whatever it may be, will be taken away. Jesus can and Jesus will make you whole again. In addition to mention being made of Jesus, there is also a special stress here on the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes healings stand alone, but often they are said to go hand in hand with the other gifts of the Spirit like tongues and prophecy. And so, beloved, this afternoon we are back to the Holy Spirit. In the weeks gone by, we have dealt with the Spirit's person and work in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, as well as in the church as a whole, and also in the life of the individual believer. Today we've come to the Holy Spirit and controversy. For let us, let there be no doubt about it, that this connection between the Spirit and miracles has created a lot of discussion as well as a lot of disagreement. Some are in favor, even enthusiastically so, and claim that all kinds of people are being healed. Others are opposed and say, if you look into these claims in any amount of detail, you'll see that it's all cosmetic. It's all for public consumption, and there is no substance to it. And so how are we to evaluate all of these things? Should this church be looking into healing services should we be inviting the sick and the broken in Langley to come here and to be healed? Is that what the Holy Spirit wants? Is that what God demands of us? Is this something that we have neglected to do that we need to rethink and to introduce? Beloved, I preached to you this afternoon on the theme, the spirit and controversy. What about miracles? And we shall see that the Spirit works miracles when, why, and where. Well, beloved, one of the best things that we can do in dealing with the controversial matter of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and miracles, is to step back for a moment and take a broad look at both Bible as well as church history. What does Bible history teach us about the miraculous? And what does church history teach us about the miraculous? Turning first to the Bible, specifically to the Old Testament, what do we see? Do we, in the Old Testament, see miracles everywhere? Do we come across healing after healing? Is the old, is the Holy Spirit particularly active in this kind of a way or manner? Well, for an answer, we have to say, beloved, that by and large, the Holy Spirit or the Old Testament was not a miracle testament. Indeed, there are only two Old Testament periods that stand out in this regard. 
There's the time of the Exodus when the Lord sent all of those calamities upon the land of Egypt. And some see these as miraculous interventions. Others see them as divine judgments. And however you describe them, there is no doubt that they do represent some special intervention on the part of God in both history as well as nature. And the other period that stands out is the period connected to Elijah and especially Elisha. Elisha's ministry is filled with about ten miracles, as far as we know, dividing the water of the Jordan River, healing poison water, multiplying, as we read, the widow's oil, raising the son of the Shunammite woman, the well-known healing of the Ammon the Syrian, and so forth. And indeed, in the case of Elisha, there is no doubt that many miracles and healings accompanied his ministry. But for the rest, that's about it. When it comes to most of the Old Testament, we do not hear much about miracles at all during the times of the patriarchs, the judges, the prophets, and the kings. Miracles were the great exception. And not the norm. So by and large, Old Testament time was not miracle time. Old Testament church was not necessarily a miracle-filled church. But that brings us to the New Testament, and what do we see there? We see Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. And we see that his ministry is filled with miracle after miracle, that he does them constantly everywhere for almost everyone. And he does them with great power and authority. And indeed, if you look very closely at his miracles, what do you see? There's a whole bunch of characteristics that stand out. First, most of his miracles have to do with incurable diseases, and a lot of those diseases are still incurable today. Also, our Lord Jesus rarely used means, except when he made that clay and rubbed it on the man's eyes. And whenever the Lord Jesus did miracles, restoration was complete and people were made entirely whole. And his cures, when he did them, were instantaneous and without delay. And they included every kind of disease, disability, and deformity. And also we never hear about any of the recipients of his miracles suffering relapses. As well, sometimes his physical healings were used to confirm the forgiveness of sins. And often our Lord didn't even wait to be asked for a miracle. He just did it. And finally, he never hired an advertising company, and nor did he ever make a lot of publicity for himself saying, next week I'm going to have a healing crusade in Nazareth or Capernaum or Nain or wherever have you. And hence it can be said, beloved, that in a remarkably sovereign and singular manner, our Savior healed the sick and cured the ailing. And his power was on display almost every day. 
And so much of the same can be said of the apostles. Theirs was also in part a healing ministry. Think of Peter and John going into the temple court and healing that lame man who had been lying there, sitting there. Think of Paul, who also on other occasions heals lame men, bedridden men, feverish men, a dead lady and a dead man, and who casts out demons, for example, in in Acts 16. And hence you can argue and you can say that the apostolic age was also a miraculous age. And yet we do have to be careful here. For there were situations in which the sick were not healed by the apostles. For example, Paul, for one reason or another, was not able to cure Timothy's stomach problems and told him to try a little wine. Paul even leaves Trophimus sick in Miletus. And he mentions that Epaphroditus almost died. And then there is the fact that Paul couldn't heal himself from his so-called sorn in the flesh, whatever That may have been. And needless to say, beloved, all of this leads to certain conclusions. While Jesus could heal everyone of everything all the time, the same could not be said of the apostles. Their healing ability is more sporadic, even more limited. And not only that, but it also shows you, beloved, that the New Testament church did not receive power to automatically heal everyone, not even everyone who has faith. While miracles happened, not everyone had a right to expect them, to claim them, much less to insist on them. Yes, and that brings us from Bible history to church history. What do we see there? Do we see a constantly and continuously miracle-working church? The answer is no. Rather, what we see is that miracles virtually ceased after the time of the apostles. And as well, any claims to miracles after the apostles rests on very shaky and questionable grounds. With the possible exception of one church father by the name of Origen, none of the other church fathers or leaders ever claimed to have done one or seen one. Not Augustine, not Athanasius, not Ambrose, not Chrysostom, not any of them. And hence the first four centuries of the church were largely devoid of miracles. And much of the same, beloved, can be said of the church ever since. Go to the time of the Reformation and after and read and study the biographies of Calvin and Luther, Swingley, Knox, Hutius, Brackle, Owens, Edwards, Spurgeon, Chalmers, Bavink, and others. And what do you see? All of these people who we think belong to the greats of church history and theology, none of them possessed miracle-working power. So what do Bible history and church history teach us? 
They teach us that miracles are limited to special times and persons. They teach us that not every age is a miracle age. They teach us that healing is not a common or universal feature of the church of Jesus Christ or a constant work of the Holy Spirit. But why not? Why do miracles come and why do miracles go? Why are they characteristic of certain times and not of others? Well, the answer is, beloved, that in the Bible, miracles play, believe it or not, a secondary role. And if you ask what kind of a role is that, well, it's the role of authenticating, of legitimizing, of proving, and of testifying. Take Moses. Why did the Lord grant him miraculous power? We can't be absolutely sure, but I think there are enough indications that it was to prove that he really and truly was the spokesman for Yahweh, the great I am who I am. And take Elisha. Why was he able to do so many miracles in his day? Well, it appears to have everything to do with the fact that in his day, the word of the Lord no longer was respected or heeded by anyone. And along comes Elisha, preaching the word of the Lord. And accompanying that word are all those authenticating signs and miracles. And then take the Lord Jesus, beloved, why? Why did he do so many wonders on the face of the earth? It was to prove that he really and truly was and is the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Emmanuel. You know, on Pentecost Day, Peter stands up. And among other things, Peter says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know. And so what did the miracles do for Jesus? They told the people that the kingdom of God has come and is coming. It told the people that here is a preview of the great day of days and the great restoration of all things. When all God's people will be whole and healthy and eternal. But above all, they prove that Jesus is who he said he was. The Son of God and the Son of Man. You know, it's so easy for a man to stand up and make extravagant claims for himself. It happens all the time. As a matter of fact, it happens so often that people get kind of cynical and skeptical. And then the remark can be heard, prove it. After all, there's that English saying, the proof is in the pudding. In the case of Moses, Elisha, 
Our Lord Jesus Christ, the apostles, the proof was there. They really were sent by God. They really were clothed with power from on high. The Holy Spirit was really upon them and using them. But having said all of this, beloved, where does that leave us today? And especially where does that leave us in relation to three particular areas? First, with respect to certain New Testament passages that deal with spiritual gifts. And secondly, where does that leave us with respect to the claims of modern faith healers and miracle workers? And third, where does that leave us with respect to miracles and us today? You know, earlier we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the verses 1 to 11. And you'll notice there we meet a list of spiritual gifts. It says in verse 8 and following, the one is given through the spirit of the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these, it says, are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives to each one just as He determines. At the end of that chapter, the Apostle Paul comes back to these gifts and he asks, Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have the gift of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. Now we might wonder what is going on here. Is Paul saying that the Spirit who gives these gifts gives them all the time to all the church? Well, you can read and you can study the scholars and the commentators, and and most of them will tell you basically this, that here in this list in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is speaking about ordinary and extraordinary gifts, about gifts that remain and gifts that fall away, about gifts that the church used yesterday and gifts that the church uses today, about gifts that are lasting and gifts that are temporary. And Paul writes that the Spirit gives them to each one just as he determines. Which means that the Spirit ultimately determines what is needed in the church and when it is needed. And what is especially needed apparently in the early church what is especially needed in that time before the Bible was completed. The Spirit determines the miraculous powers, tongues, and prophecy were needed. 
And what is especially needed once the Holy Scriptures have been brought together by the Holy Spirit and have entered the church? Well, the Spirit determines that then what is needed is wisdom, knowledge, and faith more than anything else. Oh, and for those who think that prophecy, tongues, and miracles are the be-all and the end-all of everything, Paul has a word for them. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Yes, there are greater and higher gifts than these. And what are they? Well, read on in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And there you see they are faith, hope, and love. And then you know verse 13. And the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love. That's at the top. Not prophecy, tongues, and miracles. As so many allege. And that's the point that the Apostle Paul is making in 1 Corinthians 12, is that the Spirit is the great gift giver to the church of Jesus Christ. He always supplies what the church needs most. He supplied the church in Paul's day with special gifts as well as temporary gifts. He supplies the church today with special gifts as well. And as for tongues and prophecies and miracles, as for all of those temporary gifts, they've given way to the word. The Word of God, which is truly the Word of the Holy Spirit to the people of God. But then, beloved, what about faith healers today? What about their extravagant claims? What are we to think of them? I would urge you to deal with them with utmost care and a huge dose of skepticism. Indeed, let me ask you, is our Lord glorified by a Todd Bentley who kicks a man in the stomach who has colon cancer? You can see it on YouTube even today. Is the, is the Lord glorified by a Benny Hinn who runs around the world collecting hundreds of millions of dollars without accountability? Is he glorified by faith healers who have their assistants picking and choosing who may go on the stage and get healed and slain in the spirit and who may not? Is the Lord glorified when unhealed believers are told that the reason why they're not being healed is because they simply don't have enough faith? Is he glorified by these men who make claims that are never proven, who specialize in ailments that are difficult, if not impossible, to verify? In other words, where is the man with the withered hand? 
Who's had that hand healed? Where is the leper without his sores? Where is the disfigured without his scars? Where are the dead who have now been raised? Many, many questions, beloved. Much uncertainty. Much to be concerned about. So what does it all mean? Does it mean that miracles no longer happen? Does it mean that we live in a closed, boxed-in universe? A universe in which God is not omnipotent, but is impotent and powerless? Beloved, that's not what's being said. Miracle ministries, healing crusades, maybe out. Equating gospel times, Elisha times, apostolic times with today. Maybe out. Faith healers and miracle workers as special people in the church. Maybe out. But you know, there is something that is not out. And what is it? It's the fact that the Lord still hears the prayers of his people and still does wonderful things through his spirit in the church. On purpose, I took our last scripture reading from James chapter 5. And we can have a long discussion and debate about what James 5 is all about. Some say, well, it's about healing. It's about wellness. James isn't about healing or wellness in the first place. In the first and foremost place, what James is stressing in chapter 5 is prayer. The power of prayer in the Christian life. If you are ill, if you have a family member who's ill, if you have a fellow church member who's ill, if you have a neighbor who's ill, what's the best thing that you can possibly do? Put them on a plane to Lakeland, Florida. Fly them to Manila. Now the scripture says the best thing you can do is pray for them. Pray sincerely, pray humbly, pray fervently, pray persistently. And why? Because as James tells us, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And you know, then he goes on to mention Elijah, right? Elijah who prayed about rain. And the rain came back. And what James is really saying is, in the church of Jesus Christ, we really need to be Elijahs to one another. If there's sickness, if there's suffering, if there's brokenness, if there's death, be an Elijah. You know, in all my years of ministry, I, I've never managed to work a miracle. If I had, you'd heard about it. 
But I have seen God do wonderful, amazing, unexpected, even I would say miraculous things among his people. I've seen the prayers of the saints answered in most surprising ways. And therefore I say to you, don't follow in the footsteps of a Benny Hinn or a Todd Bentley. Follow in the footsteps of the Apostle James, who says, in all your circumstances, pray. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ, to the Spirit, in the Spirit, through the Spirit. And then you will see that the wonders of God, the wonders of God in Jesus Christ, never cease. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.